Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. The pod is approaching 500 downloads since episode 1 back in March. Pretty exciting. I hope you've been enjoying the wide range of sports covered in the museum so far. I have several more fun guests lined up, perhaps none as fun as today's. It was a joy talking to Al Spager, the Director of Community Engagement at the Mascot Hall of Fame in Whiting, Indiana. This children's attraction near Chicago entered my radar at the 2019 International Sports Heritage Association Conference, where a group from Whiting presented about the Hall of Fame's creation. Even though Al is known as Grandpa Mascot, you can definitely tell he has a passion for young people and the work of mascots to engage fans. After my interview with Al, I'll be sharing information about the Philly Fanatic during this episode's overtime segment. Be sure to stay tuned after Al and I's conversation for information about the beloved mascot of the Philadelphia Phillies. I hope you enjoy episode 9. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm talking to Al Spager, Director of Community Engagement with the Mascot Hall of Fame in Whiting, Indiana. Al, how are you? Hey, good, Andrew. How are you? Doing well. I'm really excited to talk to you. you got Casey Wolf in your background here I at do. the museum, so we've got a, a lot to talk about as far as mascots go. And so I just think it's a really fascinating museum, and I love how it's kind of the fun side of sports with the mascots themselves and their inductees even. And then there's also this educational component with all of the, the steam initiatives and field trips and a lot of things that you guys do from the museum perspective that are educational and very geared towards kids. And so thank you for being here today. And so I wanted to start with your background on getting into your role with the mascot hall of fame, because you had a career in another industry and then you retired from that and then moved over to the mascot hall of fame. So what was that process like for you? Well, I had worked for 40 plus years in the steel industry. Uh, when I retired, I was the head human resource executive for a major steel company here in Northwest Indiana. And in October of uh, 2013, I decided that was enough, and I retired. And so I was going to live this life of hugging my wife, being good to our kids, being great to the grandkids, doing a lot of community stuff and playing hockey twice a week. And so uh, we were going to travel and do a lot of different things. And to make a real long story short, I got a call from a third party who said, uh, hey, I heard you retired. You didn't tell me. I said, you're right. And we kind of laughed about it. And, and the person said, do you want to go back to work? And I said, nope. Worked for 40 plus years. I'm not going back to work. And they said, well, if you ever want to go back to work, call us. I said, I'll call you, but it's not going to go back to work. Well, four months later, I get this a call from the same person and said, look, let's quit playing cat and mouse. They are going to build a kid's museum in Whiting, Indiana. And they want to talk to you about heading it up. And I can remember sitting in my living room, putting my hand over the phone, looking at my beautiful wife of 40 plus years. And I said, I'm going back to work. And she, she looked at me with this, you know, surprised look and she goes, doing what? And I said, they're going to build a museum for kids. I'm going back to work. And so the very shortened version of a real long story came back, got helped get the ball rolling and. So what are we talking? Seven years later, you know, I'm having this conversation with you, but it's been it's been challenging, but it's been an absolute joy. I, I went back for the right reason. I wouldn't do a thing different. That's awesome to hear. I'm sure it energizes you as an older man who works with kids all day and like helps with the children's museum. Can you kind of talk about that and share like how it is refreshing to you? You kind of said that before we got started recording. So I'm sure it brings you a lot of joy and just what's it like seeing those kids' faces? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a different side of my brain. If you work in, in 
the steel industry and labor relations, that's a grindy existence and it's a lot of, you know, battling and negotiating and stuff like that. And this is a totally different side. I bet. This is an opportunity for not just me, all of us that work here to see that joy in, in, in kids and families and, and students and teachers when they come here. And one of the buzz phrases that I've invented is that a, a lot of times it's just fun to close your eyes and listen. You get, a, you get a museum full of kids and you can hear all the cackling and laughter and, and, and the questions. And I've morphed into this character called Grandpa Mascot. So the kids, most kids don't know my name. They don't know I'm Al Spager. They don't care that I'm Al Spager, but they know I'm Grandpa Mascot. And so, you know, when, when they're here, I'll walk around saying, hey, any three questions you got, I can answer them because I know everything, right? And there's that joy because they're inquisitive. They want to learn. Uh, and the questions are all over. Sometimes they're interactive questions. Sometimes they're questions about a specific character or how did you build this or how does this work? And you, you, you pile all those different things together. And it's just it's a day to day joy. It really is. And my wife and I are blessed to have four grandkids. Two live relatively close and two are in Houston. The, the two that live relatively close are here all the time. And so they think they played a hand in developing this place, but it's uh, it's unmitigated joy with kids. It really is. That's awesome. And I know you all do a lot with the field trips and, and some of those things that it's very interactive at the museum. So what are the different components of that and how is it interactive? And then can you talk about like the steam and the, the STEM components of like some of those lesson plans and things like that? Because I find that fascinating. Well, when we built this place, we, we said we we want it to be untraditional. And, and so most of your Hall of Fames have, you know, blazers on the wall and plaques on the wall, and it's kind of a, a static existence. And we wanted this thing to be anything but. So when the place was designed by Jack Rouse Associates out of Cincinnati and, and, and brought to life by Chicago Scenic out of uh, the south side of the loop, we essentially take people through here as if you're going to college. And so it's, it's, it's kind of referred to as mascot university. And so we have, and we're, we're aimed at the grammar school set. So it's essentially the educational uh, level of elementary school students. But on our first floor, we have a lot of physical activity. We've got a big sports court where you can play any one of about six sports in there from a Nerf perspective. We've got a virtual t-shirt shooter uh, cannon, which promotes teamwork. There's a tubular climber, which is really difficult to get through. So we made it long and, and twisty so kids would have a good time. But when they get to the second floor, there's a theater, which explains how the place was conceptualized. And then you get into a lot of the educational things. There's a place where you can place your hands and feel the textile of what it's like to put them in mascot, uh, in the mascot gloves and try to grip things and pass things along. We have a, um, a place where you can literally put the mascot helmet on so you can feel what it's like to be in the helmet. We've got a place where you can see what the mascot sees out of that field of vision. And we've got heating and cooling components there so you can feel what a mascot feels. You can get your creative juices flowing where you can actually bring a mascot to life and, and, and do that. We have a... Uh, a nutrition game where two mascots are running a race. And depending upon what food and beverage choices you make, uh, your character either wins the race or runs out of energy. 
There is a dance routine where you get to check your cardiac uh, activity. You take your, your pulse rate at three different junctures where you're standing alone. Then when you do the dance routine, then when you put on the mascot suit and do the dance routine and every time it goes up, there's a geography game where it's, it's called, where are they from? I'm actually kind of sitting right outside of it where there's 150 mascots. So you can think of all the components mathematically that you can put together. It's a 10 question deal. So we got that across the place. There's a kind of a lower tech thing. It's almost like a Mr. Potato Head where you can build mascots. We've got a place called Mascot Audition where you can do a dance routine. We video that. You put a costume on. We've got Build-A-Bear here. So, And then the other thing we have is, and I skipped over that, I should have mentioned that, when you're inducted here, you, you get this big inflatable head that hangs from our atrium. And they're gorgeous. They're lit at night. So they're just big balloon head characters of the mascots and we have eight kiosks around the second floor where if you tap the belly of the kiosk you can bring up any character that's enshrined in the mascot hall of fame and so from an educational perspective you can learn the story about that mascot so kids love the place we were very careful we you know we made sure that we got our educational props in order. We partnered with Trine University out of Angola, Indiana, and Calumet College of St. Joseph right here in town. And we put together lesson plans so that when, when kids walk in here, this is, I mean, there's a lot of fun in this place, but there's an absolute ton of uh, subliminal education, Andrew. Yeah. And I think that's what museums can do, especially kids museums, because there's there's so much with that that you got nutrition and you got just kind of dancing and having fun, but that's still physical activity, getting them active. You have uh, measuring heart rates. I didn't know that was part of it. And I think that's pretty unique where they're kind of learning about their own bodies and their own health. And then you get to see some huge mascot heads uh, in the atrium. So that's just always fun. And I'm just very intrigued by the museum. I, I love going to Chicago and I know you all are right next to Chicago. So what is the proximity of that distance between Chicago and Whiting? And then how do you work with that proximity and, and drawing people to a smaller town in Indiana like Whiting? Well, we're actually closer than you probably think. If I grew up on the south side of the city of Chicago, and I grew up five miles from this place. So we literally are about four miles outside uh, the city limits of Chicago. We are about 25 minutes from downtown. So if you stand on our third story level and look down Lake Michigan, you can actually see the loop. So it, it's almost like you can reach out and touch it. So we're right there. So, it, I mean, we are not just... yeah. Are we proud to be in Northwest Indiana? Absolutely, we are. We're very region proud for what we've done. But our draw comes from everywhere. I mean, the southern suburbs, mm -hmm. the city of Chicago itself, the northwestern suburbs. People come here from Michigan. People come from the Indianapolis area. I mean, we've had visitors from Europe. We've had family that came in here from Spain. So, I mean, obviously, most of our draw is you know, I would say geographically relatively close, but, you know, we've had a lot of outliers, Wisconsin, New York, Pennsylvania, you know, we're a national museum. And, and so we get people that are traveling, Washington, DC, you know, we get a fair amount of people who make a road trip and come into the Chicagoland area and they make this a destination place. Yeah. 
And it should be because it's kind of the only museum like it, as far as I know, is uh, inducting mascots. And can you kind of talk about how the museum began? Because I was looking on sure. your website and it started out as kind of an online museum by like one man who used to work in the mascot industry and then it's kind of grown to this physical structure in Whiting. So were you part of that entire process or um, just what was that process like from online to a physical building? Yeah, if you're a baseball fan and follow the Philadelphia Phillies, then you're aware of the Philly Fanatic. And the Philly Fanatic was one of the premier mascots in this country, still is for years and years and years. And the person that was inside the suit was an individual by the name of Dave Rain. And Dave had the idea. He's the guy that started the Mascot Hall of Fame in an online presence. And that was going forward for several years. And eventually, the former mayor of Whiting, an individual by the name of Joe Stahura, kind of coincidentally had an idea that he wanted to make the town or the city a 12-month-a-year destination place. And so he was a sports guy. Raymond obviously was in the sports industry. Somehow they magically got together and started exchanging ideas as to whether or not something like this would be feasible. They did some studies. Uh, right after that, I came on the picture. And so we, we actually brainstormed our way for a couple of years as to whether we thought this would work or not. And all the collective parts got together, JRA, Chicago Scenic, some sponsors, and, and we broke ground. We had an official groundbreaking uh, for this facility in October of 2016. And we opened our doors at Christmas of 2018. So from the time we stood on the lakefront in an empty lot to the time we opened our doors. It was about two years and two months. And then we were making strides like crazy. I mean, it's just our first year and a quarter. We were incrementally getting better. We were getting more attention. We were getting more people coming to the place. In our first year, we drew 32,000 people here. And then COVID hit. And uh, just as a precaution, I mean, nothing ever happened here, but we were extremely careful and as a precaution to the virus we shut down in um it was last march so we were closed well the march before last march we were closed for about a year and a month so you know was what it was nobody was happy about it but it gave us the time to kind of rethink what we're doing here we upgraded a lot of our exhibits we added all the the balloons up in the atrium that needed to be added because we had had eight characters inducted. Uh, we certainly, from a safety perspective, went above and beyond. I mean, we've got safety and cleansing devices all over the place. I think there's like 40 stations in a three-story building. We've got a cleaning crew in place that sanitizes right away. So it, it gave us a chance to reflect and, and do things the right way when we were going to open. So that's kind of how the journey is. So open for a year and a quarter, closed for a year and a quarter. Now we're open since uh, April 1st. Weekend phone. Yeah, I'm sure COVID for all its negatives as far as loss of life and damages financially, and um, it's just impacted so many, but it also has provided kind of a, a reset opportunity because if you're closed for that long, then it kind of gives you the chance to assess. And I like how you put that. You're like, why are we really here? Like why you kind of self-evaluate. And I think maybe all of us did that personally during COVID, but I'm sure businesses and hall of fames have done that. Um, and like you said, you're upping your cleaning standards, even above whatever um, the protocols are, you're 
redoing some of those things. And I think that's awesome where you're kind of adding to the museum and then people, maybe when they come back, maybe they were there pre-COVID. And then as we kind of get out of the pandemic here over the summer, then they'll maybe see some new things, see some new mascot heads and then get to experience some of the new exhibits. So what can people look forward to if they haven't been back in a little bit? Well, several things. And and we're, you know, because when you got time, you get to think. And if you're using your, your thinking time <laughs> right. wisely, you can you can do a lot of different things. So we've got, we added uh, four new heads up in the atrium. It was Blue from the Indianapolis Colts, Boomer from the Indi- from the Indiana Pacers, Oriole Bird from the Baltimore Orioles, and Yuppie from the Montreal Canadiens, who is, who is our, uh, and Yuppie used to be from the Expos, but now he's from the Canadiens. He's our, our first international mascot. So that's new. The other thing we did is we revised all of our videos. We have two theaters in the facility and we added, we, we started out with a lot of generic footage from the mascots. And believe it or not, in the, um, in the couple of years we were open, we had footage everywhere. I mean, we literally, we had an outdoor ceremony in year one. We took footage inside here. So we had the ability with everything we had was to essentially triple everything we've got. We added footage from 2019 and footage from 2020. So anyone that walks into our theaters by a factor of three sees new stuff. Uh, The other thing we did is pictorially, we had a lot of things hanging up around the museum that were, again, generic because we hadn't been open. We changed all of it. And, And so what we've done is we had enough pictorial storage that when we had events if you walk around here you don't see generic pictures anymore you see pictures from actual events that we hosted and people actually get to see themselves and so there's nothing there that you know we one of the things we had that used to just drive me nuts we had a picture of Richard Nixon and some mascot and I and I used to just crow saying that's got nothing to do with us right and so, you know, no disrespect to a former president, but it's got nothing to do with us. And so that's replaced with this beautiful picture of Reggie, who is our, 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 our mascot from the Mascot Hall of Fame, surrounded by probably 100 kids. And it's on, our, it's on our staircase, and it's just a gorgeous picture. And since we've been open, I've seen kids go there and go like, man, it's me. You know, so it, it becomes real for them. And so we did a lot of stuff like that to uh, take advantage of the downtime and, and insert a lot of real life things that we were able to accomplish for the first uh, year and a half and then you know go forward. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Reggie because the Mascot Hall of Fame has its own mascot, which I think is kind of unique as far as Hall of Fames go. So what was the creation process like for Reggie? And can you just kind of talk about your own mascot at the Mascot Hall of Fame? Oh, sure. Yeah, Reggie was created by Dave Raymond, and it, it's a character. Uh, he's got a lot of nicknames, Reggie the Purple Party Dude, Reggie Fun for Hugging. But he is this benevolent, happy, loving creation, and he belongs to the Mascot Hall of Fame. That is specifically, you know, he's housed here. Reggie makes his appearances out of here. He's just a big character who is terrific with kids. He attends, I mean, just like all the mascots, he attends hospital events and community events and ball games and, and little league things and, and, and kids football and library readings and just about everything you can think of. 
and Reggie is is keenly associated with the mascot Hall of Fame. He he is our we call him our spokes character. So um, you know Reggie belongs to us. We're, we're proud of him. We're proud of the people who play the part of Reggie. So good with kids. So good with families. So good with disabled people. All the mascots are. It's not just Reggie. All that, that's one of the you know, you talk about great joys of being an older guy and being associated with them. It's how mascots treat people in general. They're terrific. I started working on this project in the very early spring of 2014. So I'm seven years into this. Haven't made a mascot I don't like. I, they're, they're, all, they're all wonderful performers and they are especially good with people. Yeah, because it's a hard job and I don't know if people really realize that. And I Actually, in my internship last year for my college degree, I was a mascot for a couple just times during my internship, and it was just hot in the costume. It was a lot of work, and I was just recording like 20-second videos as far as the minor league team I was with. So, well, then you know, yeah, you know what it's like. Yeah, I've looked through the mouth and kind of seen like that, that viewing hole is not very big. So you got to kind of figure out where you're going and you usually have a handler with you. And it was just very small what I did, but it was to do that for like three or four hours consistently throughout a long baseball season or football season. That's pretty unbelievable how they're able to do that and keep their energy up and interact with all these groups like kids and like the elderly and like some of these things that we're talking about. I mean, a lot of people think the costumes are air conditioned. They're not. The general rule of thumb is about 30 minutes in the costume. And then you got to get to a cool area where the headpiece comes off and you get to hydrate. The people who are performers to a person, men and women, are superbly conditioned performers. I mean, they're lean people and they take their trade very seriously. I haven't seen anybody screwing around or trying to grab a beer or something. I mean, it's water, it's Gatorade, it's, it's you know, electrolytes going in. And they're very, um, they're very careful about how they do it. One of my favorite stories is there's a, there was a big fest going on in the city of Whiting. It's called Pierogi Fest. It's a huge festival that happens at the end of July every year. And we were taking the mascots from City Hall to a performing area about three quarters of a city block away. And I can remember leading them out of City Hall, there were 10 of them. And once the people saw them, you know, when you talk about what's the reaction, it took us 45 minutes to get three quarters of a block. They couldn't get past anybody. Everybody wanted a picture. Everybody wanted a hug. Everyone wanted you know, some piece of the mascot and the characters and the performers were so absolutely endearing. And that's where, I mean, that, that's where you talk about this mental payback and you see how they treat senior citizens and you see how they treat disabled people and you see how they treat kids and families just generally. It's fun to be in back of them and watch them as to how they treat people. And it's, it's just so grand but I mean, that's one of the moments that I'll, I'll have etched in my memory forever. We It took us almost an hour to get to walk one city block with 10 mascots. I couldn't get anyone to move. And, and it was and it was joyfully so. I mean, it was, we just we couldn't get anywhere. That's that's cool. That's an awesome story. Are there other stories that you would want to share? I'm sure we could talk all day about stories, but are there a couple more that kind of stick out to you about your time in the museum? Oh, you know what? The, the, the funniest, well, one of the funny ones is, think I had hinted at this, our two grandsons. Uh, that was, yes. that, that's a comical story. So, so when I started doing this, we have two grandsons that live about 20 miles from here and they were 
six and four years old, and the whole Spager family plays hockey. I knew our son did, the kids do. So Grandpa was at their house, and they said, hey, Grandpa, I heard you got a new job. Like, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, we're going to build this museum, and, you know, it's going to be for kids, and it's going to be mascots. And so, you're, you know, you're talking to a six and a four-year-old, and the six-year-old looks at me, and he says, is Tommy Hawk in the mascot Hall of Fame? And I said, nope. And he goes, why not? <laughs> and I said, because he's not. And so we went back and forth for a little bit. And his little brother was standing there. And I said, you know what? I mean, because kids today are pretty quick educationally. So I said, no, well, you know what Grandpa's going to do? Grandpa's going to give you the email of Tommy Hawk. Get on your Chrome tab and, mm-hmm. you know, talk to your dad and mom and send them an email. Ask them why he's not in the mascot Hall of Fame. So, again, to make a real long story a lot short, the Hawks answered him as if the character had answered uh, they were good. Uh, the kids for many, many years thought they were the leaders in getting Tommy Hawk inducted here. And we let them believe that for a while, but it was a cute story with kids and, and, you know, that, so that kind of got done and the Hawks have treated them real well and the characters treated them real well. And, but that, that's just an example of many, many things were, they're just good. I mean, they, they are, they're, they're especially good with special needs people. You know, if someone's, in a wheelchair or has a hard time navigating, you know, they're on it. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, it literally is one story after another where the mascots in general and Reggie in particular, really, really good with kids and they make kids feel so joyful and so welcome and so happy. And so it's been, yeah, it's been cool. That's awesome. And I, I wanted to ask about like the actual induction process because the mascots themselves are inductees of the mascot hall of fame, which I think is just really awesome because they're these characters, but also there's like real people behind them too. And what is that process like? And you said there's, there's 18 inductees and they have these big heads in the atrium. And I think that's awesome. So can you just talk about the inductees of the mascot hall of fame and that whole process? Yeah. I mean, there's 25 in total, 18 are professional and yeah, seven are collegiate. So there's a grand total of 25. There's an election process that we're very careful with. I mean, if you're, you know, got to think this through a little bit. If you're a kid's museum and and an educational museum, you want to make sure that characters that you have displayed are, are, are top of the line. So there's, there's kind of a vetting process that goes, uh, goes on the character has to be in existence for 10 years the character has to be a solid good actually an extraordinary performer and then the character has to do certified good works in the community so what you're trying to do is essentially get the cream of the cream mm-hmm. and so we're very careful about doing that and then we've had a couple of election processes where there is essentially a three-part voting process there's a popular vote there is a vote with people who are connected to the mascot hall of fame. And then there's an executive committee, which puts the final stamp of approval. And I'll just take you back to the 2021. When we started, uh, we had 19 characters that were nominated by either their professional clubs or their educational institutions uh, to be considered. The first vote, we, we uh, cut that to 10. And uh, so the final vote was was 10 character or 10 performers. And that got to where we talked about Blue, Boomer, the Oriole Bird and uh, Yubi. So in the two years that we've been open, we've inducted eight characters. The first year it was Tommy Hawk. 
Benny the Bull from the Chicago Bulls, Slugger from the Royals, and the Nittany Lion from uh, Penn State. Okay. And when we had the election, in just to show you how popular this is, when we had the 2020 election, 128,000 votes were cast. Just like 15 or 20 people are voting and we're trying to make some selection. I mean, we had ballots coming in worldwide. Every, you know, the entire North America voted, but we had a lot of stuff from from continents all over the world. So it uh, it's quite popular. I'm sure. And why wouldn't it be? Because there's a lot of a lot of joy found in that, like we've talked about during this whole interview, a lot of joy, a lot of I'm sure for the adults, too. So what what do adults think of the museum and Hall of Fame? Because they're like chaperoning their kids or a school group. And so I'm sure they love it. But what kind of feedback have you gotten from adults? Nothing but positive stuff. I mean, sometimes the adults actually almost kind of boot the kids out and get in. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's you know, it because it gives you the chance you know, it gives you the chance to be 10 years old or 12 years old. And, you know, it's not uncommon for dad to pick up a Nerf football or mom to pick up a, a Nerf basketball and try to make a three-pointer. And especially when you come upstairs to the second level, you know, people are working those kiosks. People are, you know, going head-to-head. Moms and dads are going head-to-head in the geography game or the nutrition game and seeing who's smarter. You get families doing the, the dance routine, which which picks up the heart rate. So there's all you you can see an absolute ton of uh, adult participation. You know, not to the extent that the kids do it, but certainly to a large extent. And you get some, you know, you get some competition between moms and dads and teachers and principals and and students. So you get a lot of that stuff going on, and it's just. It's fun to see. And everybody wants to take me on, you know, because they figure, uh, you know, I'm the guy who's here. And and, and, and so, uh, you know, Grandpa Mascot must know everything. And so and I don't I mean, there's there's just so many things to know here. So I, I do not know everything that's going on. But. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of friendly competition. You gotta love that. That's awesome. Are there any things about the museum that we haven't touched on yet? Because I know you're a, a fountain of knowledge as far as the uh, mascot Hall of Fame goes with all of your experience at it and being grandpa mascot and all of that. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to touch on? Well, we're huge. We're 25. You know, it's a brand new building. So it's not like we went into some place that was reconditioned. I mean, this place was designed for this purpose. It's 25,000 square feet. It's about half glass so that in daylight, it looks totally different than at night. And it's beautiful both ways. I especially like it at night because the uh, the inflatable heads that hang from the ceiling hang on very thin guide wires and literally look like they're floating in space at night. Upstairs, we have a a place called the Furatorium. That's cool. It's a 100-person flex room. So we have the ability to host birthday parties. We've done weddings. We've done bar mitzvahs. We've done business meetings. We've done uh, acting up there. You know, just, I mean, anything you can possibly think of, we've done it. Outside that area, there's a, uh, a patio, which literally it's like you're sitting on Lake Michigan. It's got room for 70 people. So when people rent it for a party, in good weather, they can sit outside and enjoy the uh, the view of the lake. And, and so there's amenities here. We're one of the few facilities that has Build-A-Bear, a natural Build-A-Bear store. 
in our facility. We have a gift shop okay. on the exit end. We have a snack shop on the first floor for when it's especially popular with kids. So this is a, a, a totally self-contained facility. We have a beautiful uh, plaza area out front. If you look at our webpage, there's a van with mascots on top of it. We are currently selling bricks, commemorative bricks. And so if anybody wants to buy a commemorative brick to be displayed in our area. It's $150 a brick and you can personalize it. We're going to install the first set of bricks, the first 100 bricks here in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. But it's just, I mean, yeah, it's in a beautiful setting. Yeah. And everything is just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a new place. We've only been open for going on three years. So everything still looks shiny new and, and it doesn't have any wear and tear on it because it's a new facility. Yeah. And those kind of upgrades you made during the pandemic, uh, I think that'll kind of draw people back as well, even with the new building and just continually upgrading it and continually inducting new mascots and keeping things new and still maintaining those like academic standards for field trips and stuff like that. I think that's what makes the Mascot Hall of Fame pretty unique. It's real important to us to make sure that people understand this facility is connected to education. Yeah. So this is not just some place that's a gigantic fun house. We have specific educational goals in mind, specific educational connections in mind. And so we've really taken our time to make sure that if you're a school group and you're coming through here, it's worth it. Okay. This is again, just not some place to come and screw around. It's a, it's a place with a plan. Yeah. And even though it looks like real overt fun, you're going to walk out of here a little smarter when you walk out than you were when you walked in. Yeah, that's great, Al. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you again for your time. And can we talk about where you would find the Mascot Hall of Fame, whether in person or online? MascotHallofFame.com. Uh, we have several sites on the internet, but www.MascotHallofFame.com. And if you're in the uh, Chicagoland area, our location is 1851 Front Street, F-R-O-N-T Street in Whiting, Indiana. People who are at all familiar with the region, you get to 119th Street, which is the main boulevard coming through Whiting, and you go as far east as you can. And if you go too far east, you'll hit the building. So there's no decisions to make. Once you get on 119th Street- Take it all the way. Yeah, the building appears. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you again, Al. This has been just a really fun conversation, probably the most fun one that I've I've had with the podcast, just because of the nature of the Hall of Fame and just Casey Wolf in the background of your your screen. And it's been a lot of fun for me to um, hear from you and the the balance between having the fun and having the education. I think has been really, really, really unique for the Mascot Hall of Fame. So if you're up in Chicago, then go check out Whiting, Indiana, and its Mascot Hall of Fame. Thank you again, Al. You know what? You've been a great host, Andrew. I thank you for. Uh making the 45 minutes just whiz by. Thank you, Al. I appreciate that. Have a great day. You too. Hi. Right. Bye-bye. As Al spoke about the origins of the original online-only mascot Hall of Fame created by Dave Raymond, the first Philly fanatic, my mind went to the videos I'd seen of the fanatic, driving his four-wheeler at Citizens Bank Park, messing with legendary Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda, and being a giant green source of fun for so many over the years. I thought it'd be fun to give everyone more information on the fanatic during this episode's overtime segment. After all, he is a 2005 inductee of the Mascot Hall of Fame. I will say that most of this information came from a fantastic documentary short made by Sports Illustrated that you can find in this episode's show notes. 
The Phillies had two mascots in the early 70s, a pair of colonial children named Phil and Phyllis, but they were looking to drive attendance while the team was bad on the field. So, part owner Bill Giles called Jim Henson's company, of Sesame Street and Muppets fame, Bonnie Erickson and Wade Harrison are named as co-creators in the SI video. The Phillies originally declined to purchase the Fanatic to save money, but ended up leasing it from Henson's company for several years. And instead of paying a couple thousand dollars for the original copyright, the Phillies ended up having to pay $500,000 in 1984 for the rights to the Fanatic forever. More on what that means later. Dave Raymond worked in the mailroom for the Phillies, and in the video, Bill Giles calls him a quote-unquote smart aleck kid. He then became the first Philly Fanatic. Dave could communicate very expressively, something he learned from his deaf mother who communicated through American Sign Language. And obviously, expressiveness is a key quality to have as a mascot performer. The Fanatic did have a special relationship with the late great Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda, who did not like the Fanatic and his antics one bit. Now for some stats. The Fanatic stands 6 feet 6, 300 pounds, mostly fat, as his Phillies webpage states. He's from the Galapagos Islands and loves cheesesteaks in the movie Rocky. You can't make this stuff up, folks. However, there have been several slight costume changes to the Fanatic in recent years because of a lawsuit. The lawsuit was filed by the original creators over a notice of termination submitted due to copyright law expiring 35 years after the original deal in 1984. The lawsuit is still ongoing. Whatever the case, you can always find the Fanatic and its current performer, Tom Burgoyne, interacting with fans, driving his ATV on the field, and at all sorts of community events in Philadelphia especially Phillies games. You can find the Mascot Hall of Fame online at mascotholloffame.com or in Whiting, Indiana, right off Lake Michigan and 25 minutes southeast of downtown Chicago. Look in this episode's show notes for the museum's website and social media pages. Thanks to Al for being such a fun guest. I hope you enjoyed episode 9 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your app of choice. It definitely helps Hallowed Ground gain exposure. Thanks in advance. I'll see you next time, sports fans. You know, it's really fun. There's not a day I don't want to come here. That's what's I mean, so cool about this place.